Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, listeners. Support for this episode of Luke's English Podcast comes from italki, the super convenient method for improving your English online. With italki, you can find an English teacher for one-to-one lessons, or a cheaper option is to use a community tutor. Community tutors are not actually teachers, but they are English speakers, and you can find a lot from the UK, for example. Uh, They're English speakers who are there to talk to you and help you to improve your English in any way that they can. Basically, you can get loads of conversation time with native English speakers, and those community tutors are cheaper than the qualified teachers. It's just another option for you. Also, there are loads of English speakers on italki who might want to learn your language so you could organise a language exchange, which would be totally free. So you've got teachers or community tutors or uh, free language exchanges. There are loads of options. Certainly the one-to-one lessons or community tutors are Uh, great options to get some genuine English conversation into your life, which is a vital part of developing proper, functional, communicative English. Uh, And because italki sponsored this podcast, they're offering you a discount voucher when you buy some talking time. And that's roughly equivalent to a free lesson. So basically, it's buy one, get one free. Go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk to get that offer and to find out more. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. I have just chaired a meeting of the Cabinet where we agreed that the government should call a general election to be held on the 8th of June. I want to explain the reasons for that decision, what will happen next, and the choice facing the British people when you come to vote in this election. Last week, something surprising happened. The British Prime Minister, Theresa May, announced a snap general election, meaning that she called an election earlier than expected and with a short time between the announcement and the date of the election. That's what a snap general election is. Everyone was kind of taken by surprise by it. And um, she only gave about six weeks between the announcement and the date of the election. Uh, In this case, the general election is going to happen on the 8th of June uh, this year. So this is a general election, which means that all of the MPs in the UK's House of Commons in Westminster, London, could change. All of the MPs could change. I don't think they will all change. But we will see a different arrangement for sure, with parties either losing or gaining seats, and the government could change as well. Again, I don't think the government will change, but it's possible. Um, The House of Commons is where all of the members of Parliament sit, the MPs. Each seat 
in Commons represents a different part of the country, uh, the different constituencies. So um, on the 8th of June, people will go out to the polling stations, they'll vote for an MP for their constituency, and then the, the, the one who wins the most votes in that constituency gets that seat in the House of Commons. Uh, the party which gets the majority of seats in the House of Commons then has the right to form a government. At the moment, our government is uh, the Conservative Party, since they won the uh, majority of seats by a fairly small margin in the last general election, uh, which we had, uh, which was in 2015. I talked about it on this podcast, if you remember. Um, So, how is our parliament and our government going to change with this election, and how is that going to affect the direction that the country goes in in the future? Um, So, politics is in the news again, as it always is. So I think it's time to talk some more about this subject on the podcast. So let's talk to my dad, Rick Thompson, again. Uh, my dad is a journalist who worked at the BBC for years, and he's also a visiting professor at the University of Central England. Basically, he's a well-informed and articulate person, and certainly he's the one I always ask when I want to know all about something that's happening in the news. So let's talk to Rick Thompson about this snap election, what it all means, and how it relates to this ongoing story of Brexit and politics in the UK. Now, before I do that, before we talk to my dad, I think it might be necessary to give you a bit of a summary of the story so far in terms of British politics. Uh, So I'm going to give you a little summary of British politics. This will take about 10 minutes, but I think it's important context. Um, I've been covering politics in the UK on this podcast uh, since, I guess, the Scottish referendum in 2014 and then the 2015 general election. I've I've done episodes uh, every now and again about the political situation and events, attempting to talk about them in a balanced way while also giving my personal take on things and also asking my dad for his uh, view as well. Um, So I talked about Scottish independence, uh, the general election in 2015 and then various episodes about Brexit. Uh, You can go back and listen to those episodes. Uh, You'll find them in the the archive since, well, the general election last time was summer 2015. Um, in any case, here is now a brief summary of British politics over the last couple of decades to just make it as clear as possible because context is everything. Uh, without context, um, it's just a bunch of big sounding words and events that might not seem to have any significance. Also, um, going through this summary, Uh, is a good chance for you to hear some of the language of politics that you might have heard on this podcast before or, you know, from other bits of news that you've read or heard. Um, You can read this introduction and summary uh, on the page for this episode. Uh, So visit the page for this episode and you can read all of the stuff that I'm saying to you right now. Uh, So uh, watch out for certain terms and language relating to politics. There is some nice vocabulary here and you can pick it up and use it when you discuss politics as well, because I'm sure that many of you are discussing these things, like politics in Europe, but also politics in your countries as well. A lot of the language is basically the same. Uh, So we have two main parties in the United Kingdom, and then some other smaller ones, which are still important, especially today. We'll start with the Conservative Party, the Conservatives, also known as the Tories. Uh, Their official colour is blue, 
and their leader is Theresa May. Uh, the Conservatives currently uh, have the majority in the House of Commons. So they, uh, so the government is the Conservative Party. Uh, the leader is Theresa May, as I said, the Prime Minister. Uh, and the Conservatives occupy a sort of centre-right to right-wing position on the political spectrum. Um, they are often described, perhaps slightly negatively, as the party of the rich. Um, but uh, they tend to promote free market capitalism with the belief that allowing business to flourish benefits society as a whole because the money trickles down to everyone else through the creation of jobs and things like that. They believe in the private sector as the solution to society's problems and that introducing competition in the marketplace between companies seeking profit will create the best conditions in all services rather than the government stepping in and controlling things with regulation. Uh, so the Tories believe in small government. They are the party that says that they support hard work and dynamic entrepreneurialism, the idea that you can build a business yourself, and if you work hard and you have good ideas, you can get rich and do great things, and this benefits society in general. They are criticised for not caring about ordinary working people, some people say that because the Tories sort of often their policies involve um, cutting back on, on public spending and cutting back on, on services for the poor. And their general sort of position on that is, you know, that, that um, if you give people a safety net, that they will use it and they, they, they'll be lazy and that's bad for the country. So they kind of think that they would rather reward hard work and they don't want to encourage people to kind of take advantage of the system um okay uh, but you know some people criticize them for saying that they just don't care about ordinary working people and there are plenty of sort of you know people on low incomes who are really really struggling because of the conservative party's policies um they're also criticised for just supporting their friends at the top. That the the Tories really just care about the kind of um, the the rich uh, members of the establishment who they all went to school with, and they're accused of being out of touch with ordinary life because they don't know what it's like to kind of live on a tight budget or to to live on the minimum wage, for example. Uh, and they are currently the governing party. Then there's uh, the Labour Party. Uh, their their uh, their colour is red. Um, they're the opposition party at the moment. Their leader is Jeremy Corbyn, and they occupy uh, the sort of left uh, side of the political spectrum, ranging from kind of centre left to left wing. There's quite a lot of diversity in the uh, in the in the Labour Party, and generally, uh, Labour believe in supporting working people and creating conditions in which everyone can have a decent life. They believe that the government needs to support people in all areas by providing welfare, guidance, and regulation to keep things balanced for everybody uh, uh, for, for, for Labour the public sector has a responsibility to take part in many areas of life in order to constantly protect the interests of all people so this means more public spending on services and the redistribution of wealth through higher taxation on the rich and higher public spending for services for the poor um, equal opportunity programs, political correctness, and so on, generally trying to create a balanced playing field in society. They are criticised uh, for being soft and idealistic, for being the liberal left, for being politically correct. Uh, they're criticised for being tolerant of radical Islam, 
uh, for being incapable of managing the economy due to the high levels of public spending and the taxation which they impose, um, which damages business, apparently. Uh, They're criticised for being too controlling, for having too much influence in all areas of life, like in people's business concerns, uh, that it's the nanny state trying to control everything and stifling entrepreneurial instincts. Those are the criticisms. They are the opposition party at the moment, struggling with their leader, Jeremy Corbyn, uh, who is popular with grassroots Labour voters, but unpopular uh, with the MPs in the House of Commons. Um, Then you've got the Liberal Democrats in the middle. They kind of sit between Labour and Conservatives, sort of they're a centrist party. Their colour is a kind of yellowy-orange colour. Now, the Liberal Democrats almost never get power, and they just kind of sit in this lukewarm water where they pick up voters who don't really agree with the other two big parties. They're considered to be a bit vague on their policies, and also criticised for being untrustworthy considering the fact that they made various u-turns on many principles in their time as uh, in their time in coalition government with the tories so in the previous uh, government uh, liberal democrats were in coalition with the conservatives and you know they went into coalition government believing that they could somehow influence the tories and maybe limit some of the more extreme uh, conservative policies and stand up for things like uh, you know university tuition fees and other other principles but uh, the liberals essentially sort of uh, u-turned on all of those things and that's why they've been criticized and they actually lost a lot of seats uh, in the last election uh, these days the liberal democrats are one of the only major parties in england which is anti-brexit uh, their leader is called tim farron Then you've got the Green Party, and they're to the left of Labour. They don't get a lot of votes because they're probably just a bit too left-wing, even though essentially their politics, uh, their policies are about fairness and environmental protection. Um, The left generally is criticised for being idealistic because they sort of believe in high public spending, you know, and that, you know, everyone has the right to all these services. But the criticism is basically like, where's the money going to come from? Essentially, the Greens are sort of a bit anti-capitalist because they would they would basically make businesses pay for uh, for their their spending programs. Uh, you've got UKIP, the United Kingdom Independence Party, on the right of the Tories. They're essentially, you know, to the right, quite a right-wing party. Uh, you know Nigel Farage, um, uh, who's the high-profile member of, of UKIP. Um, UKIP um, have always been focused on two things, really, uh, getting out of the European Union and cutting immigration. Those are their two main uh, goals. Um, Many uh, of their members deny climate change. They blame immigrants and the EU for all of our problems. And they like to think that they are the party for people who are kind of sick of the political class. They present themselves as being an alternative uh, to to the sort of um, the political political class who are out of touch with ordinary people. Then you've got the SNP, the Scottish National Party. They are the party for Scotland. There are a few different parties in Scotland, but the SNP sort of promote, uh, you know, Scottish values above above all others. Um, they're focused on protecting Scottish interests, first and foremost. They're generally left-wing, um, and they want independence for Scotland. Uh, then there are some other smaller parties like uh, Plaid Cymru for Wales and several parties in Northern Ireland that are basically defined by uh, their their positions. The, the Northern Irish parties are 
kind of defined by their positions relating to um, the status of, of Northern Ireland and whether it should um, remain part of the United Kingdom or whether it should um, sort of unite with the with the, the Republic of Ireland. Um, over the years, our country has generally swung between the Conservatives and Labour. Following World War II, a Labour government set up the welfare state, which means that you know the state took control of the big institutions and utilities like the National Health Service, the railways, the water, the electricity, coal, steel, and so on. And these were like massive pillars of British economic and social life. And this is what the country looked like in the decades after World War II. Uh, In the late 1970s and early 1980s, Margaret Thatcher with the Conservatives totally changed the country by pushing liberal free market economics and beginning the dismantling of the welfare state. Uh, She oversaw the privatisation of many of those state-owned institutions, letting the markets and the private sector dominate our economy, uh, making it sort of very hard to go back to the previous model. The left wing was badly hurt during this period, uh, partly due to their failures in the pre-Thatcher era, uh, when the country was dominated by the labour unions, uh, which um, uh, kind of people say that the the unions like held the country to ransom and stifled uh, a lot of uh, um, like business growth. Um, but uh, yes, but Thatcher. Okay, fair enough. Thatcher did revitalise things. Um, but she also is criticised for damaging a lot of the working communities that relied on industries like coal mining. Uh, and she generally pushed the country towards liberal economics, a bit like the way Ronald Reagan did in the United States in the 80s. And we've essentially been following that model ever since. Um, the, as I said, the left wing was a bit stuck for a long time. And we had nearly 20 years of the Tories. Um certainly from like 1979 until um, 1997, it was just the Conservative Party all the way through. Um, Then uh, in the mid-90s, Tony Blair revitalised the Labour Party by rebranding it New Labour. And he took a centrist position known as the Third Way or Blairism. And this is how he revitalised Labour. He sort of moved the party to the centre. And essentially this was the uh, social position of the left with the economic position of the right. That's what he tried to do. Uh, free market capitalism was allowed to flourish as before, but with the redistribution of wealth, high public spending on welfare services and uh, progressive social policies. A lot of this was funded by the financial markets, um, banking trickery, uh, credit lending and so on. Uh, it was a it was like a Thatcherite economic model, but with the heart of the left. And Blair claimed to represent ordinary working people, and he wanted to create a level playing field in society to give everyone an equal chance, while also allowing business to thrive and flourish. Uh, okay, uh, he was popular in the beginning, and he won a landslide victory in 1997 in the election. And generally, he was quite good for most of his uh, his time in office, but it all kind of slipped when he took the country to war in Iraq in 2003 and there were lots of questions about the way he justified that and generally he's now seen in a very negative light because of the way he took the country to war. Uh, Also the reckless manner in which the financial markets were allowed to play with our money uh, led to a banking crisis 
uh, as all of the lending and borrowing backfired when people basically couldn't pay back all of the debts and the banks lost a lot of money. It's not entirely clear who's responsible for that. You know, obviously the bankers... um, you know, bear a lot of the responsibility because of the way that they played with our money. But in terms of the the politics, whether that's a result of like, you know, th- the changes made by Margaret Thatcher in liberalising the economy, or you know, whether Tony Blair's government was responsible, it's not entirely clear. Uh, but it did come from a culture of risky investments and, frankly, dodgy debt trading, which is kind of what happens when you let the markets just get away with anything. Um, Because our society is utterly dependent on credit, our economy took a big hit, just like it did all over the world. Uh, This was the 2008 economic crisis. Um, Tony Blair handed over to his partner, Gordon Brown. So Tony Blair stepped down because they'd always agreed that after a certain amount of time, Tony Blair would hand over to Gordon Brown. Uh, and um, Gordon Brown became the Prime Minister and he inherited this mess uh, of the economic crisis. And he tried to solve things with a mix of quantitative easing and other policies. But Gordon Brown lacked the charisma of, of Tony Blair. And he arrived at a time when everyone was a bit sick of Labour um, and also were struggling with the economic crisis. Brown is remembered as being a bit of an unpopular Prime Minister who also had to deal with the fallout of the Blair years. And Labour took a big hit in the 2010 election and lost um, and uh, you know voter apathy and general distrust in politicians led to quite low voter turnout in the 2010 general election. The Conservatives got more votes than the other parties, but they didn't get a big enough majority to form a government. So they eventually formed a coalition government with the Liberal Democrats, who took the opportunity to play a role in government. So we had a coalition government, uh, and that government pushed an economic policy of austerity, uh, which is basically cutting public spending. The As I said before, the Liberal Democrats compromised a lot of their principles because the government was basically led by the Tories who pushed their, you know, their their austerity programme. And the Liberal Democrats lost a lot of public support as a result of of that. Uh, Scotland had a referendum to leave the United Kingdom uh, in 2014, but the vote ended up being to stay. But the Scottish National Party gained a lot of support and Scotland still might vote to leave the UK in order to remain in the uh, the European Union at some point. Um, So... Uh, following the 2010 election, the Tories continue to push austerity as their solution to the economic crisis. The next election in 2015 saw a fairly surprising win for the Tories. They managed to win an outright majority. Uh, and this is mainly because the Scottish National Party stole votes from Labour in the north. Um, and also the Liberal Democrats lost loads of seats because people basically had lost faith in them because of the way they carried out, uh, you know, the way the role they had in the coalition government. Uh, Labour's leader at the time, Ed Miliband, just wasn't really convincing enough as a potential leader. And people probably felt that the Conservatives had a plan for the economy, which basically they had to finish. 
Also, the usual voter apathy meant that a lot of people didn't vote, and as a result, only a portion of the population got what they wanted. So the Tories carried on with their policy without the influence of the Lib Dems. No more coalition government, just the Tories. And their policy, as uh, I've said before, was to cut public spending and yet relieve pressure on business to stimulate the economy. It also looked like they were uh, making working people pay for the economic crisis caused by rich bankers who were also their friends. That's one of the criticisms that's levelled at the Conservatives. Uh, you can see that I'm not a huge fan of the Tories. I mean, I try to be balanced, but, you know, I'm 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 not really a, a, a Tory supporter, but, you know, I'm always ready to be convinced. Um, Labour, in opposition since 2015... Uh, after the 2015 election, Labour looked for a new leader. And surprisingly, an old member of the party, Jeremy Corbyn, was chosen. He's quite radically left-wing. He's popular with the grassroots voters, but he's not that popular with the more centrist members of the party, including many Labour MPs. And the party is still quite split with you know people either supporting or not supporting Jeremy Corbyn. It seems the MPs in Parliament aren't that keen on him but kind of people on the street seem to quite like him Uh, meanwhile the economic crisis unemployment and increasing immigration caused more competition in the job market they say and uh, the cut in public services caused a lot of frustration among middle class and lower class people and UKIP the United Kingdom Independence Party gained more support by campaigning to reduce immigration and make Britain great again by getting out of Europe and they posed quite a big threat to the Conservatives uh, both among voters and within the Conservative Party Um, and generally David Cameron the Prime Minister and Tory leader faced quite a lot of pressure from this growing Eurosceptic faction within the Conservative Party and he had to try and please the members of his party who uh, you know who were and are Eurosceptic and he came up with a plan to satisfy those Eurosceptic members of his party and to prevent UKIP from stealing too much support from them Um, he had to be seen to be addressing the EU situation and taking a tough position. So Cameron called a referendum on Europe while also planning to try and renegotiate Britain's terms of membership with the EU. Now, I think he believed that he could use the referendum as a sort of bargaining tool in Europe in order to try and get a better deal for Britain with more control of immigration and more control of you know business laws and so on he thought that i guess he thought that the eu that i guess he thought that if he came to the eu and said look i'm having a referendum and if you don't give us a good membership deal then the people are probably going to vote to leave so give us a good deal you know he thought that he could go to the eu and say that and that the eu would be like okay okay you can have whatever you want just don't leave us i think david cameron imagined that the referendum would essentially for the people would be a choice between a better deal with the EU, this better deal that he was going to negotiate. So it was going to be a choice between this better deal or to be out, you know. And it was a risk because he had to try and make sure he got that better deal. And in the end, he didn't really get the better deal that he wanted. 
and you know how the anti-EU supporters campaigned hard during the uh, the referendum campaign. They campaigned hard for a leave vote by making lots of, quite frankly, untrue claims and promises that they couldn't keep, presenting Brexit as the solution to all of the UK's problems. And then, uh, surprise, surprise, the country voted to leave the UK. Um, 51.9% voted leave and 58.1% voted to remain. David Cameron, who had compa- I'll start that sentence again. David Cameron, who had campaigned to remain, promptly resigned following the the referendum results, suggesting that he wasn't the right man to lead the country into Brexit. And there was a slightly messy leadership campaign with Boris Johnson ultimately stepping down because he made a fool of himself with his leave campaign. Uh, too many promises that he couldn't keep and false claims and so on. Uh, Theresa May was chosen by the Tories as the next leader and she was officially anti-Brexit during the referendum, I think, um, during the referendum campaign. But she was chosen as the Prime Minister to lead the country through the Brexit negotiations, despite the fact that she'd kind of suggested she didn't believe it was a good idea in the first place. Crazy times. Um, A lot of people were angry with Jeremy Corbyn, the Labour leader, because he basically didn't really argue against Brexit strongly enough. He didn't really sort of defend the Remain um, uh, uh, argument strongly enough. And as the leader of the left, he didn't really seem to care about Brexit that much. And this probably damaged the Remain campaign. Uh, It seems that he doesn't really like Europe much. And he lost a lot of support from shocked Remain voters who were disappointed that he was unable to sort of um, uh, activate his party um, to vote Remain. Uh, there, there was a, a high court claim by various people which argued that the government didn't have the right to trigger Article 50 to start the Brexit process without Parliament voting on it first. The claim was a success in the high court. The high court judges ruled that Parliament had to vote uh, on the decision to trigger Article 50. Parliament did vote and of course they voted to trigger Article 50 uh, and in March uh, Theresa May triggered Article 50 um, and she also promised many times that she wouldn't call a general election because now isn't the time she said and then wow just uh, a few days ago she suddenly called a snap election and here we are. Uh, it was a surprise because she she, I mean, she didn't need to do it until 2020. Um, uh, but here we go. We've got another election on the 8th of June, 2017. So why has this happened? What's the significance of all of this? What does this all mean? Let's now talk to my dad and see what he has to say. And also, you'll hear us talking a little bit about the French presidential elections too. Okay, so without any further ado, let's now talk to my dad about the snap general election. This is the Rick Thompson Report with Rick Thompson. Hello, Dad. Hello, Luke. How are you? I'm fine. Lovely weather here. Oh, is it? It's cold here. Really? Yes. It's odd. I thought I thought uh, spring had sprung. No, the spring has unsprung itself, and uh, it's drizzly and cold, and it's going to get you know even colder later this week. Oh, I see. You want to be on the continent, Dad? That's I know. That's where the good weather is. Yes. Yeah, okay. So, good. We've done the weather report. <laughs> yes, the weather report. Yeah, I mean, the the, the longer-term uh, weather report is that the uh, month of April here in the UK has been unseasonably dry, certainly in the centre of the country, in the south, 
Um, it's supposed to be April showers. We're supposed to get April showers, which means every day a shower comes through and you get lots of showers. Well, we haven't. The garden's very dry and uh, much less than average rainfall. And what we've got at the moment isn't much rain. It's just a kind of thin drizzle mm. and a northerly wind, which is cold. So it's not very pleasant, really, at the moment. Oh. But bef- but earlier in the month, it was terrific, really nice. Is it going to stay like that for a while? I think it's going to stay a bit cool, but um, it'll it'll cheer up. Okay. And uh, it's just that uh, the weather's all a bit strange. I mean, it's, could, they say it's to do with climate change. We haven't had a really severe winter for years. We haven't had a really hot summer for years. All the sort of seasons seem to be joining up. So um, it's the same all the time. Yeah. Okay. All right, then. So good. Weather has been dealt with, um, as always, because we always have to talk about the weather first. That's right. Um, traditional. It's traditional, isn't it? Okay. So, but what about everything else? Now, normally I talk to you on this podcast about politics and stuff, and it's it's been Brexit the last few times. Uh, but uh, I'm talking to you today because there's been some recent developments in British politics lately. What's going on? What's going on? Well, it's connected with Brexit, of course, mm-hmm. um, which is a very big, uh, big deal for the UK and the history of, of Britain in the uh, in recent years. Um, yes, the the Prime Minister Theresa May mm-hmm. um, had said all along that uh, there wouldn't be an election. We don't need an election, and um, but she changed her mind while on a walking holiday with her husband in Wales. Oh, really? Yeah. And so um, she came back and surprised everybody. Nobody knew, not even her close colleagues knew, that she was going to call an election really? on June the 8th. Not even the rest of the government knew? No, the, nobody knew. She kept it quiet. That's a bit weird. Well, uh, you know, not a bad thing to do, really, spring it on everybody. Mm, anyway, so. Um, so why she had, had a, decided to change her mind and have an election when most people say, oh, no, not another election... Please, but um, yeah, that's what's going to happen on June the eighth, and um, there are two versions of why. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a U-turn, isn't it? Yes, it is a U-turn, which happens in politics sometimes. People generally don't like it when politicians do a U-turn. No, um, and um, so what's the response been to to this? Not just the fact that she's done a U-turn, but that another general election is happening. What's- oh, I think the response has been relatively generous, really. Um, you know, people say, well, uh, she can change her mind, and they listen to her justification. The justification was substantially about Brexit, mm-hmm. saying that um, she needed to uh, have a united um, position when negotiating with the EU, and the substantive negotiations haven't even started yet. So there was an opportunity to get an election out of the way uh, so that she could then go into negotiations saying the country is behind me, look, they've all supported me, and that most significantly the political opposition in Westminster would be silenced. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. So so uh, that's that's her reason. She says it will strengthen her hand in the negotiations. It will be sta- stability and it will be a sensible negotiation without any um uh undermining going on at Westminster behind her back. Okay, so it's about kind of um um getting a getting a mandate. Yes. Um I mean there is another version of events which is she just couldn't resist it. 
because the opinion polls are so strongly in favour of her party, the Conservative Party, and so negative against the main opposition party, the Labour Party, that she's going to change her relatively small majority of 17 seats into something well over 100. And, you know, you just can't resist it. How come? How come uh, the the uh, how come people seem to like like the Conservatives at the moment and and dislike Labour? Well, that's a very interesting question. It's mainly to do with the Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, he has um, come from a long political career of being very much of the left. He's been a left campaigner. Uh, he's espoused all the left-wing values um, and he became the Labour leader because of the mechanism within the Labour Party does rather favour the trade unions and the trade unions tend to go for somebody who is left-wing. But Jeremy Corbyn does not have his MPs behind him. The majority of the members of Parliament don't want him as leader they don't agree with a lot of his policies and so uh, he's um in, unable really to lead the labor party in a united way um the newspapers are hotly against him he doesn't have many leadership qualities uh, he's not clear about the labor position on a number of things and their popularity since he became leader has fallen and fallen and fallen what was his position on brexit um, he was, uh, during the campaign, in favour of remaining. Um, uh -huh. In fact, so was uh, the Prime Minister, Theresa May. Mm. In fact, most of the members of Parliament on both sides were in favour of remaining. Scotland was strongly in favour of remaining. Um, so the referendum put them all in a difficult position. They had to uh, say, well, the referendum result has to stand. Um, and the 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 position is wishy-washy. The the electorate is completely confused about who to vote for in this coming election now. Yeah. Well, what are the choices, basically? Well, um, the only main party that, uh, south of Scotland, the only main party that is not happy about Brexit and says it's not happy about Brexit are the Liberal Democrats. They're a traditional centrist party. Uh, people listening to this may remember that they went into coalition with David Cameron's Conservatives when there was no overall majority. And the next election, they got heavily punished for it by their supporters and uh, lost a lot of their parliamentary seats. I think they've only got nine. Yeah. Um, but they are uh, having a bit of a revival in local authority elections and they're mainly because they represent the the 48.1 percent of the population who voted to stay in the eu there's nobody else apart from in scotland that represents uh them and the liberal democrats are, aren't in a position to say we will stop brexit but they are in a position to say we will stop what's called a hard brexit Okay. Which is crashing out of the EU and crashing out of the single market. Okay. All right, then. Um, so I'm just sort of, I guess, surprised that um, so many members of parliament just fell in line with um, the whole uh, referendum result when, you know, 48.1% said that they would rather remain. 
I guess. I no, mean, is this yeah, just that... them? Is this is this is just them respecting the result of the referendum and just saying, well, the people have spoken. That's right. Um, we don't tend to do referendums very often in this country. Uh, we have a parliamentary democracy. And this referendum, which was called very stupidly by David Cameron, has uh, upset things no end. Yeah. Um, yes, they can't really say, well, we're going to ignore the referendum result, particularly if they represent constituencies that voted to leave. Right, I see. and um, and that's the problem that uh, the, the this right wing party, UK Independence Party, UKIP, frightened everybody. They came second in quite a lot of places. They didn't get any MPs, um, but uh, the the Leave camp is strong, and the MPs, particularly in some working class areas are very much afraid to go against what their constituents voted. Right, so they just have to go with what the constituents uh, wanted. Well, they have to, reluctantly, yes. Okay, so how is this possible then that uh, we're having a general election? When is it happening, by the way? June the 8th. June the 8th, which is just, um, you know, just over a month. uh, uh, Yeah, there's about five weeks of campaigning to go now. How is that possible then that we can have an election so suddenly out of the blue? Well, um, in the past... um, the Prime Minister could always call an election whenever they liked. Mm-hmm. Um, David Cameron decided that he wanted to uh, lock in a five-year term and uh, so passed a, a law that said the elections would be every five years. But that law could be overturned if a two-thirds majority of the MPs decided to overturn it. Mm-hmm. So when Theresa May said, I'm going to have an election, she had to get the House of Commons to vote at least two-thirds majority to support that. Yeah. And, of course, um, the Labour Party can't say, well, we're, well, we don't want an election. They have to say, right, bring it on. Uh, good chance for us to, um, you know, challenge the, the government. Why can't they say that they don't want an election? Because, I mean, everyone's well, seen... Every, every, everybody would laugh. You're running scared. Right. Because it would look like they they were admitting that they wouldn't win. It's like that's a, right. It's like admitting defeat before it's even happened. That's right. Um, so they kind of had to say yes. We gladly uh, accept the challenge of uh, a, a general election. That's right. What what what? Um, so I mean, we said how Jeremy Corbyn is such an unpopular uh, leader within his party, and this is this means that essentially the Labour Party is kind of um, neutralised in a way, isn't it? Because of this split between the grassroots um, members and the the trade union movement and the actual MPs in the House, and you know, like it's it means that the uh, party is just unable to to do things. So, does this? How is this going to affect the outcome of the election? Then, what what are the predictions? Well, obviously, it's um, a little way to go yet. And in elections, all sorts of things can happen. And this one's more difficult to predict than most because of the uh, the Brexit problem, uh, which has split everybody, uh, the Conservative Party, the Labour Party, um, and even the Scottish Nationalists. Well, um, the, the, all the signs are that Theresa May will win a great big majority and Labour will do very badly. Okay. Uh, this is what it looks like. But there are a number of questions. One of the questions is the people who voted UKIP last time, anti-immigration, uh, get out of the EU party. Yeah. Well, they've got their get out of the EU. They've mm. got the referendum and they've we voted to leave and we are going to leave. 
Mm. So maybe they won't vote UKIP again. Maybe they'll decide to return to the voting they did before. Because these are often sort of uh, people from working class communities, the kind of white working class uh, people who feel like they've been ignored by the government and who want to, you know, who see immigration as a threat to, to their way of life and the job market and so on. The, they might possibly people who might they might be people who would uh, vote uh, Labour rather than Tory. Is that That's right? right. They might. Um, but uh, the, the whole referendum thing has been looked at closely by analysts. And there are all sorts of reasons why people voted to leave the EU. Like? Um, mainly, they weren't happy. Right. Uh, so they'd, they'd had a 10 years of austerity. And the people who don't earn very much had not done well out of it. They'd seen the rich getting richer. And they um, they managed somehow to blame immigration and blame the foreigners uh, in a mysterious manner. Uh, you have to remember that in many European countries, unemployment is quite high. I mean, if you look at Spain, Italy, even France, uh, it's quite high. In this country, it isn't. It's below 5%. So it's rather strange to see uh, people saying, oh, they're taking our jobs away because they're not. And in many ways, we would we would have a great difficulty if we didn't have people coming in from other countries, other European countries, to work in our health service, in our care service, even to pick our vegetables in the fields, um, and with skilled work as well. You know, lot the famous Polish plumber, uh, meaning a stereotype of the people with skills who came in from Eastern Europe and have done very well. Right. Okay. So essentially, we don't really know, but but uh, I'm sure. I mean, your listeners are going to be totally confused. Uh, but you are asking why are we having an election and what's going to happen? Uh, it it is very difficult to know what's going to happen um, because it looks like the Labour Party will get a terrible result, and that Theresa May will have a very strong majority, and she will say, there we are, now just shut up and let me negotiate the best deal I can on EU. Okay, and also the Conservatives will be very happy because suddenly they'll have like way more um, power in the House of Commons than they had before. Yes, of course they'll be happy to have a great big majority. Uh, but remember the Conservative Party is not entirely united. It has a it has a hard right core, which some people say have been driving, you know, the political agenda. People who want to get out of the EU at any price, and they they're the people who say um, no deal is better than a bad deal, whatever that means. Yeah. And uh, it, they're happy to see us leave the single market, uh, whereas there are plenty of other conservatives who look at it and say it would be a disaster for us to leave the single market. And uh, my view is that. When Theresa May says, this will give me a stronger mandate for a much better deal, I don't think that's true. If you look at it from Brussels' point of view, it's still the same situation, the same prime minister, the same problems. How are they going to negotiate anything differently from whether Spain can continue to fish in our waters, whether there will be a border between Northern Ireland and, and Republic of Ireland, uh, whether we are, the City of London will be able to do financial dealings without tariffs, whether we'll be able to 
export our cars without tariffs, all those things still remain to be started. The negotiations haven't started because the European Commission is still working out what its mandate's going to be. Right, I see. So so um, uh, Theresa May's position of like, well, the people have uh, chosen me definitely they definitely want me to to lead these negotiations in brussels will be like well yeah so yep. that doesn't change anything right okay um there are two different versions coming out of brussels so far uh, people speaking for the commission say that oh that's good it'll be much better to negotiate with someone with a with a strong uh, strong mandate at home and we could be confident that whatever she agrees will be agreed back home uh, and all that okay but uh, the Parliament's main negotiator, Guy Verhofstadt, says the opposite. He says it won't make a jot of difference, and I agree with him. Okay, all right then. So, how do you see things panning out then over the next couple of years? Oh well, well, well I mean, we've we've talked about the election result. You you imagine that the the Tories will gain a bigger majority and Labour will suffer, and Liberal Democrats will probably win a few more seats than they've got now, uh, because they're basically the only anti-Brexit uh, party south of the border, uh, and so that that's probably what's going to happen. But we never know because you can you never can tell in politics, especially at this time, because you know. Something you never weird. can tell, but that's a pretty fair summary of my, my thinking. Yeah, okay. And and so over the next two years, I mean, you know, do you have any, any different uh, things to say at this point? It's going to be something of a horror story, a slow-motion car crash. <laughs> the, this this negotiation it cannot go well, mm-hmm. and um, it, there isn't enough time. So the best you can hope for is some kind of agreed transitional period where we can still work within the single market for a period. And uh, even though under the rules of the game, uh, we are supposed to finish the negotiations within two years of uh, the formal triggering of the leave Article 50, yeah. uh, which has happened, um, in effect, it's about 18 months for various reasons. And that's probably not long enough. So there may be an extension of the negotiating. But wherever you look, the problems are huge. And uh, they're not good. The first one is, of course, that the European Union will bema- demand we pay a big bill. Yeah. How much the, is the, the bill? This is money that we... F- could be 50 or 60 billion euros. What's the bill for? It's because they do a seven-year budget and we had a committee. We committed ourselves to paying into that budget for a period of time. Okay. If we don't pay into that, they'll have a huge hole in their budget. Okay. Um, uh, sorry. Uh, isn't isn't the European Union also committed to paying us subsidies then for the same period of time? Uh, no, uh, apparently not. Really? Wow. Okay. Um, I mean, obviously, there are right wingers in over here that say we, we won't pay them a cent. You know, we won't pay anything. Well, there there is uh, actually law um, which says that we do owe them uh, money and international law, the European law. And the second point is, of course, that it's a negotiating position. You know, if we said we're not paying, well, that would be that. You know, there would be no deal on anything at all. Yeah. So what would happen over all these contentious issues like Gibraltar or, you know, uh, trading with the Republic of Ireland, which is so important to them, yeah. Well, nothing would happen. It would be a mess. So if we'd say, if you know, like in any negotiation, if we say, well, we're not going to pay you, then they'll say, well, we're not going to give you anything in return. That's right. <laughs> it's not a great negotiating position, is it? It's like saying, well, we want this car. Okay, how much are you going to pay? <laughs> nothing. We're just taking it. Oh, so you're just stealing it then. Okay. 
Mm. Okay, so so uh, so the, I mean that's just one of the early issues that has to be settled. Another early issue is the status of European Union citizens living and working in Britain, and the status of British people living and working in the EU. Right. Um, and uh, I mean it's just almost impossible to imagine that uh, you know British pensioners living in Spain get thrown out, or that. Um, uh, all the European citizens living and working in London or other parts of Britain <laughs> to get thrown out. I mean, it's absolutely beyond belief. It's mad, isn't it? So it's about their rights as much as anything else. Right. Um, do they get citizens' rights? Do do you have some kind of European citizenship um, or what? Uh, it- you know, I, 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 it's one of the early things that they say must be sorted out quickly. Okay. So if we are out of the single market as well, which means that we we won't have this trading relationship with the European Union, who are we going to be buying and selling all our stuff from? I have no idea. I mean, the um, Foreign Secretary, Boris Johnson, keeps going on about, we're going to create new relationships with the rest of the world. The rest of the world is a big place and, you know, we have good relations and, uh, you know, there's China, there's India, there's the United States and all that kind of stuff. Well, the EU trades with all these places and um, we would have to match some kind of EU arrangement. Uh, Otherwise, it would take years. It would take at least seven years to negotiate a trade agreement with China. Right. Um, So, I don't know. The... the, um, uh, some of the other countries, of course, want to be able to trade with us. The, the closest is Ireland. Ireland, uh, nearly all of its main its main European trade is with the UK. Yeah. And it's a big agricultural country. About three quarters of its agricultural produce is sold in the UK. Yeah. It doesn't want to have any barriers at all. What about the, what about the Northern Ireland situation? Terrible. It- it's, te- it's terrible, is it? Because well, yes, you, you, yeah. you've got uh, you know loyalists in the north who um, you know will will are always very very suspicious of the south. The republic wants to unite Ireland, always hugely suspicious. The agreement, which was called the Good Friday Agreement, which has given peace in Northern Ireland for quite a few years now. Um, had, among other things, an open border between the north and the south. Right. And uh, if if the north of Ireland is outside the EU and the Republic is inside the EU, well, how can you operate without a border? Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's potentially damaging to the peace process in Northern Ireland. It is very damaging. Uh, border posts were a prime target when the IRA were... Um, in action mm. in the 70s and 80s. Okay. All right. Okay, then. Um, wow. Okay, so it's still a bit of a mess then. And then Scotland. Scotland, yeah. Well, you asked me about what's going to happen in the next two years. Well, um, the first minister in Scotland, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Nicola Sturgeon, has yeah. said that um, she wants to have another referendum on Scottish independence um, before the end of the... Brexit negotiations, so that means before spring nine, uh, 2019. Right. And um, they might just go ahead and do it, even if Westminster, if you like, 
says they can't. I found it quite. They might I- do it anyway. I found it quite ironic that um, Nicola Sturgeon was saying to Theresa May, "We want a refer- We want another referendum." And Theresa May was going, "No, no, no. You know that will be too disruptive at this sensitive time." And then Theresa May goes and announces a, a general election. election. Indeed, there are many ironies. Um, obviously. Uh, the the position of Scotland is that they want to stay in the EU, mm. and um, but if they have a referendum, and then people vote to leave the United Kingdom, um, will they still be in the EU? Well, um, there isn't much precedent for that, but the officials in Brussels rather suggest they'd have to apply. Right, they have to reapply. So they wouldn't be. So they wouldn't be in the EU. Oh my! God. I mean, it, nobody knows. Um, I think that uh, the, the breakup of the United Kingdom is one of the things I find inevitable. It's just a question of how long it'll take. Hmm. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I suppose it's too early to tell, really, what what this country is going to look like in about five years' time, or six. It or is 10 too early to tell, Luke. And I mean, obviously, it's quite interesting to see the political scene across Europe. How. Um, you know the the uh, extreme parties have done well. The the alternative parties seem to have done well. Yeah, it's all been triggered largely by these three factors. The the first of all, the banking crash um, in in two thousand and seven, two thousand eight, yeah. um, which uh, left everybody reeling, and the governments having to bail out all these banks uh, didn't have any money to spend. And so we went into this austerity period. So that's one. Yeah. The second thing, of course, was the refugee crisis triggered by what's going on in, in the Middle East. And everybody got scared of that. And some countries put fences up and they don't want to um, – the, the their electorate don't like more migrants. And the third factor, of course, is connected with that, which is Islamic terrorism. And so they they uh, everybody's sort of kind of spooked and um, uh, haven't been voting for the traditional parties in such great numbers. You've seen that in the French presidential election. Yeah. And the, the, um, the, the problem with that is that, is that you don't get um, any kind of uh, centre running the politics. Everyone's polarised. So you f- finish up with divided countries. We've been divided down the middle on Brexit, and France has divided between a pro-EU candidate and an anti-EU candidate. Yeah. There's no kind of common ground, no um, no sensible centre, especially on the left. The, you know, the centre-left seems to be evaporating everywhere. Uh, certainly in our country here in the UK, the centre-left is very weak now. And in France, I mean, we've just seen, we're recording this the day after the first round of the presidential election. Um, and um, we know that uh, Emmanuel Macron got about 24% of the votes and uh, Marine Le Pen got um, about 21-22% of the votes. So those are the two candidates going through to the second round. They're going head-to-head against each other in round two. So we will either have uh, Macron or Le Pen and um, Macron is uh, like the. I guess the surprising thing, or the big thing, is that um, neither of the two well-established parties managed to get a candidate in the round two. So this was a vote against the established political parties. Um, but also that uh, there's no genuine left-wing candidate now. Um, 
And uh, we've got this extreme right-wing candidate who's got lots of support. So it's basically the sort of centre versus the right at this moment. I mean, I say centre. I mean, it's not entirely clear what Macron really believes in. He's a bit like Tony Blair, somehow combining aspects of the two. But he's basically pro-business and pro-European Union, pro... Um, ba- um, yes, I'm sure he is a centrist. I mean, th- yeah, he is, that's yeah. right. Um, but the left, his- the, the left is, is kind of a bit um, broken at this point in France as well now. You yes, saw- it's quite surprising because France has a tradition of socialism. Yeah. Uh, and um, yes, that's right. They, they're in disarray. I mean, the, the divisions uh, run fairly deep. Um, I mean, I can't remember what the percentages were in the first round of the presidential election. 23%, 21%, 19%, 19%, something like yes, that. Yes, like that. Uh, and, um, you know, the, the fact that 21% voted for Marine Le Pen um, means that this is quite a large constituency. I mean, a fifth of the entire nation of France thinks she's a good thing. Yeah. Obviously, all the commentators are saying she won't be the president because um, others will fall in behind Macron. I don't think it's a bad thing that Macron isn't doesn't come from a traditional party. Yeah. Um, I, as president, um, you know, you have to negotiate with everybody anyway. And um, he's he's bright and he's young and he may be a good thing. Yeah. I mean, the only, I guess, the the, regardless of his position, the other things that people say about him are that he's inexperienced, that he's never been elected into anything before, um, and you know he's young, and and that uh, we don't quite know, you know, what he stands for. But it's you know, I guess that's refreshing. People want something new; they want um, a, a change, and um, people are so fed up with uh, the current party. Um, Francois Hollande in particular, the president. And I think that's one of the reasons why nobody voted for Benoit Hamon, who is um, the candidate for the Socialist Party. You know, people are just fed up with them, basically, particularly because of the low popularity of uh, Francois Hollande. And, um, you know, so, yeah, I guess... Well, it it is um, interesting that, you know, people talk about democracy. They mean, have done for centuries and what's good about it and what's not good about it. Um, and it's m- not exactly a perfect system. We all know that. And uh, But it's the least worst. Who said that? Was it Churchill? Uh, apparently Churchill, think, yeah. The least worst system. Um, yes, it's not ideal. But one of the uh, one of the things that it throws up is that, you know, how much does a general election turn into a presidential-type election? In France, you do have a presidential election. You have presidents and you have a presidential election. And the whole country votes for one of them. One person. Um, A person. Whereas in a parliamentary democracy, like we've got, um, you vote for a representative for your area to go to parliament and represent your views. Yeah. And of course, it's a party system. You tend to go for the party you think has got the best policies. But it has become presidential. And that's what Theresa May is relying on as well. She's, it's very personal. She's basically saying, give me a mandate, vote for me. I will lead us through this problem. No one else can do it but me. And um, this is useful for the Conservatives because, of course, Jeremy Corbyn doesn't look like the type of person who could do it. No, he doesn't. So uh, it's becoming a bit presidential. 
Okay. Um, it's interesting that um, as we go into the uh, campaigns for the general election in the UK, that usually the, these days there are televised debates where the leaders um, go up on TV and they debate each other. But um, 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 Theresa May has refused to take part in a televised debate. Uh, what's all that about then? Who knows? She might change her mind again. Yeah. Um, she's good at that. She uh, is, she? It, well, um, I don't know what will happen. Uh, the the broadcasters, not just the BBC, but the, the mainstream broadcasters like ITV and Sky will all be putting their heads together to decide what kind of formula they should they should devise for these debates. They will want debates. Yeah. I think there will be debates. But whether there will be the leaders' debates with an empty chair sitting there, mm-hmm. you know, with a, a cardboard box with a Theresa May face on it, I do not know. Um, I think it's difficult to imagine that happening um so they will pr- try and come up with some kind of formula uh if she insists that she's not going to take part in debates and one of the reasons that you don't take part in a tv debate is that if you're well ahead in the polls you've got nothing to gain by having a tv debate right it's the people who are who get less exposure people who are less well known and the people who are behind the polls have got everything to gain by having a good performance in a TV debate. Particularly Tim Farron, the leader of the Liberal Democrats. Indeed. Tim Farron is a very good example, Luke. Um, he's not as well known as the uh, the other two leaders. Yeah, no and, one, nobody, um, knows, nobody knows who he is. No, he's, and he, he, he does appear to be a bit wishy-washy. So he would have an opportunity uh, in televised leadership debates to prove that he's actually... Uh, got something. So basically, Theresa May just wants everything to stay as it is now. Yeah. Uh, and then she'll be in, in with a good chance of um, getting the, the majority that she's looking for. Um, one other thing. In France yesterday, over 80% of the population voted. Yes, the, big turnout. Voter turnout was really high. Um, what do you expect in terms of voter turnout for the general election in the UK? Relatively low. Really? Why do you think that? I would can't be? put a figure. I think people don't want an election. Have you? you know, they say, "Oh no, not an election, not another one." Scotland has had a referendum, um, and you know we had a Brexit referendum. And on May the fifth, that's just coming up. Uh, May the fifth, we have local elections for the county councils, which run a lot of things uh, in England and Wales. Yeah. And for the newly created mayors of some of the big cities outside London, an election for the mayor of the Manchester region, an election for the mayor of Birmingham. Yeah. Uh, And it's quite an important election. So everyone's going to have to vote on that. And then less than, well, a month later, a general election. So, so, in, uh, so in, I think people are getting a bit fed up of of politics electioneering because you know people are getting more and more cynical, especially since the la- the referendum where it's been proved that you a lot of people said things that were blatantly untrue. Yeah, that's right, and th- this is all leading to this condition which you read about in the papers called uh, voter fatigue, right? Yeah. Voter fatigue, yeah. where people are like, oh, I've had enough of elections. I think and they I'll say, just... oh, I can't stand politicians. Oh, bloody politics. I'm going down the pub. Yeah. They should just put they should put the polling booths in the pub. <laughs> well, it's not a bad idea. <laughs> um, 
Um, so, yeah, we had a general election in 2015. And before that, there was the Scottish referendum. And then we had the uh, EU referendum in 2016 and local elections and mayor elections. And now another one. So everyone's a bit fed up with it at this point. Yes, indeed. Right. OK. All right, then. Well, um, I will be voting, even though I don't live in the UK, I'm going to apply for my postal vote. So I will I'll be voting. You'll be voting in your local area. I hope that voter turnout's not too low. Um, the 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 Labour Party are desperately. I think it might be. I think it might be around sixty percent. Oh, okay. Mm. God, that's a big silent uh, group of people. Forty percent. Well, of the it's country. better than the United States. Only half of them vote. Really? Gosh. Okay, then. What do you think of um, since we're talking about politics? What do you? Th- what's been going on in the states recently? Then since Trump. Lunacy. Incredible. Madness. Absolutely incredible. What's What's Trump doing? God knows. I mean, <laughs> you never know what he's going to do next. I mean, it, it's it's almost like out of some kind of uh, black comedy, mm-hmm. you know, that um, he's dis- he suddenly dis- discovered North Korea and um, claims he sent a huge armada, the biggest armada you've ever seen in your life, towards North Korea. And everyone's, God, what's he doing with that? You know, uh, where is it? And uh, it turns out that, Nothing of the kind. It, it, this was a long-planned military exercise in the Pacific with the Australian Navy. So it's just bullshit. He was like, "I'm going to." So send- he hadn't dispatched an armada to North Korea at all. And and I mean, it gets worse. He he met the Chinese president, who's incredibly important, you know, mm-hmm. uh, meeting. And the, as we all know, the Chinese are regarded as the only people who can restrain North Korea from doing anything stupid. Um, and. Um, he, he was having chocolate cake with him, and, and, and he said, he sort of confided in him, we've just launched 29 Tomahawk cruise missiles at Iraq. <laughs> and, and, and an aide had to lean over and say, uh, Syria, Mr. President, Syria. <laughs> oh, my, oh, my God, really? <laughs> I mean, this is just straight out of a Peter Sellers film. Oh, goodness me. And he's fantastic. I, I mean, before the election, he said, NATO is obsolete. And then after the election, says NATO is no longer obsolete. Right, right. <laughs> unbelievable. It really is like a farce or something, isn't it? It's unbelievable. It's incredible. Okay. Well, um, thanks so much for talking to us about politics again. Well, I hope it isn't too boring. I mean, you know, elections, elections. But uh, you know, we're, we're seeing strange things happening um, in democratic world. Um, I suppose it'll settle down. And if we do get us, you know, Theresa May back with a big majority, well, it could be worse. What it do could you th- be in North Korea? What do you think is the worst that could happen? I mean, without being too negative, what's the worst that could happen, and then what's the best that could happen? Well, you're talking long term about yeah, Brexit, like Brexit. What's the worst outcome? Oh dear, the, the worst worst outcome could would be that we finish up trading with all the European countries on World Trade Organization rules, which means. 10, 20% tariffs on everything. It means that our economy would crash. Um, the pound would go down um, and inflation would go up and we'd lose a lot of jobs and there would be turbulence, political turbulence. Um, in Northern Ireland, that's the most dangerous situation that it might provoke uh, conflict again, which is very fragile indeed. Uh, Scotland would leave the UK um, uh, the Queen would jump out of a helicopter without a, a parachute. Um, she'd put her Scottish house Balmoral on the market at a knockdown price. <laughs> and uh, 
I mean, you know, the, the, we can have fishing disputes. We can have a big nasty dispute over Gibraltar. Uh, people uh, living in this country can find that they uh, have to have visas. Um, all sorts of horrible things could happen. Um, let's hope not. The, the, the best case scenario is that we manage to negotiate a decent trading arrangement and um, we're sensible about uh, mutual citizenship. Uh, and as for Ireland, well, I hope they don't have a border and they find a new, another way of, of uh, securing us from uh, immigration, which is not, um, you know, there's the main problem that but, they want to restrict the number of immigrants. But what about all these Brexiters who who say that, you know, this this is going to be great for Britain, we're going to take back control, we're going to become a great nation, uh, a proud sovereign nation again? I mean, well, you know, because... I, I just don't agree with them, Luke. I mean, what can I say? No, yeah. I don't agree with them. Yeah, yeah, of course. I think, you know, in, in a globalised world, going into isolation is crazy. Yeah. All right, then. <laughs> uh, well, uh, as ever, thanks for talking to us all about it. And... Uh, okay. I hope that the weather improves a little bit, even if Thank the you. politics is still a little bit grim. I hope the sun comes out yes, and you can enjoy so your lovely garden. Yes. Because well, that's very nice of you. <laughs> we will. We all hope so. <laughs> and uh, we're going to be going on a canal boat in a, in a couple of weeks' time. Okay. Where are you, where are you going on the canal up boat? Up in Wales, uh, up in the Brecon Beacons, which is nice countryside. And uh, these are the narrow boats. People have probably seen them which fit onto the narrow canals mm -hmm. and um, they're very popular now for a casual relaxing holidays just go along at three kilometers an hour along the canals through some beautiful scenery ah. occasionally stopping at a pub ah. or occasionally having to get off to operate one of those locks that that gets you up and downhill right oh it does sound nice yeah. Okay. Well, have a really nice time floating around on the water and don't worry about uh, the politics too much. No, we won't worry about the politics too much. And uh, it's nice to talk to you. And I'm, yeah. I'm sure things will settle down once your presidential election is over. Yes. Well, we'll find out about the, uh, the final result of the presidential election here in, in a couple of weeks' time. So we'll see yeah. what happens. Okay. Well, thanks for talking to us, Dad. And uh, I'll speak to you again before you go, I think. Okay. Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, nice to hear from you. Bye for now. Okay. Bye, Dad. So that was my conversation with my dad. Uh, I hope you managed to keep up with all of that. Uh, well done for listening all the way through to the end here. Um, I imagine that uh, you enjoy listening to us talking about politics. I don't do it that often, but um, I've had lots and lots of uh, messages from people saying, when are you going to talk to your dad again? You know, I see that, you know, there's a snap general election happening. Um, I think it's time for you to talk to your dad. You know, so it seems people enjoy uh, these conversations that I have. Um, so even though these episodes can be quite long and they go on a bit, I, generally the feedback I get is that people are quite happy with that. So that's good. Um, my dad always 
says, oh, I'm sure people find this very boring. Um, but I mean, I hope that's not true. That's not the impression I get from the messages I get from my listeners. Uh, so anyway, there you go. That was another conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, that's basically the end of this episode. Thank you very much for listening. Um, let's see. Don't forget, you can read all of that stuff I said at the beginning of the episode on the page on my website, and you can like check out lots of the language there. You'll see also some other little notes and things that I wrote uh, for uh, the conversation with my dad, including some bits of language and vocabulary. Uh, so you should check that all out. Um, don't forget to subscribe to the mailing list on my website. Um, just stick your email address in and uh, then whenever I publish something on the website, you will get um, an email in your inbox with a link that will take you directly to the right place where you can find all of the text and transcripts and little videos and other bits and pieces. Okay. Um, there's still time for you to vote for Luke's English Podcast in the um, British Podcast Awards. Voting closes uh, at midnight on the 28th of April, I think. So there's still a little bit of time. So if you still haven't voted for my podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you did that. Uh, I need every single vote. Uh, I need every single one of you to vote for me if I'm going to stand a chance of winning this one. Uh, go to BritishPodcastAwards.com slash vote and just type in Luke's English Podcast and then you can vote there with your email address. Um, okay, all right, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening and I'll speak to you again on the podcast soon. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. I have just chaired a meeting of the Cabinet where we agreed that the Government should call a general election to be held on the 8th of June. I want to explain the reasons for that decision, what will happen next, and the choice facing the British people when you come to vote in this election. Last summer, after the country voted to leave the European Union, Britain needed certainty, stability and strong leadership. And since I became Prime Minister, the government has delivered precisely that. Despite predictions of immediate financial and economic danger, since the referendum we have seen consumer confidence remain high, record numbers of jobs and economic growth that has exceeded all expectations. We have also delivered on the mandate that we were handed by the referendum result. Britain is leaving the European Union and there can be no turning back. And as we look to the future, the government has the right plan for negotiating our new relationship with Europe. We want a deep and special partnership between a strong and successful European Union and a United Kingdom that is free to chart its own way in the world. That means we will regain control of our own money, our own laws and our own borders. And we will be free to strike trade deals with old friends and new partners all around the world. This is the right approach and it is in the national interest. But the other political parties oppose it. At this moment of enormous national significance, there should be unity here in Westminster. But instead, there is division, 
The country is coming together, but Westminster is not. In recent weeks, Labour have threatened to vote against the final agreement we reach with the European Union. The Liberal Democrats have said they want to grind the business of government to a standstill. The Scottish National Party say they will vote against the legislation that formally repeals Britain's membership of the European Union. And unelected members of the House of Lords have vowed to fight us every step of the way. Our opponents believe, because the government's majority is so small, that our resolve will weaken and that they can force us to change course. They are wrong. They underestimate our determination to get the job done. There's to be a general election. I welcome the opportunity for us to put the case to the people of Britain to stand up against this government and its failed economic agenda, which has left our NHS in problems, which has left our schools underfunded, which has left so many people uncertain. We want to put a case out there for the people of Britain of a society that cares for all, an economy that works for all, and a Brexit that works for all. Labour's been consistently behind in opinion polls, so you're not particularly in a strong starting place. Would you concede that? Would you concede that you face an uphill struggle from here? We're going out there to put the case, to put the case of how this country could be run, how it could be different, how we could have a much fairer society that works for all, for everybody in our community. That's the case we're putting, and I'm looking forward to doing it. So what will you be doing then over the coming weeks to turn around the polls and secure a Labour victory? We're putting the case out there to deal with the housing crisis, to deal with the education funding crisis, to deal with the National Health Service, but above all, about an economy that works for all by investment, by investment in our infrastructure, investment in our manufacturing industries, to give real hope and real opportunities for everybody in this country. Labour lost a general election just two years ago. What's different about your offering to the country this time round? We're challenging the economic narrative which says that there has to be huge cuts in public expenditure in order to pay for the banking crisis of 2008. We're saying instead, invest in the economy, invest in the future. We are a party that will put forward a case that will bring about a much fairer, much more decent country than we're getting at the present time, where we have massive inequalities between the very rich minority and, sadly, too many people living in desperate poverty at the other end of the scale. The 8th of June, does that give you enough time to get that message out there? I'm starting straight away and I'm looking forward to it. We will take our message to every single part of this country and we'll challenge the government to debate these issues in every town and city in this country. If Labour loses this election, will you stand down? As we are campaigning to win this election. That's the only question now. Are you the next Prime Minister? If we win the election, yes, and I want to lead a government that will transform this country, give real hope to everybody, and above all, bring about a principle of justice for everybody and economic opportunities for everybody. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 
If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.